Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn what counts as a mistake, what to do when it all hits the fan, and how one doctor picked herself up after a mistake that led to a manslaughter conviction. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we get med students, new doctors and experts all into the same room to talk about all those topics that we need to know, but that medical school won't necessarily teach us. I'm Lauren Inez Mulder and I'm the editorial scholar at the BMJ and I'm a medical student at the University of Cambridge. And with me in the studio today is Jadera, who's had so many shifts this month, so it's so great to have you with us. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jadera. I'm in F1 in North West London, though soon to become an F2. Um, I feel like I've, I'm always starting this off the back of a <laughs> set of fairly busy shifts, but I'm feeling good today, so it's good. Speaking of shifts and things you've done, it's been a few months since we did the CPR episode. Yeah. Have you done any CPR? Still no CPR. I'm literally going to uh, crash calls of my own volition, regardless of whether I'm on call or not. Um, I think I'm just going to take this as me being a good luck charm. Uh, no one crashes. Everyone's always had, you know, a fall. <laughs> um, so nothing so far, but I'm... I'm not going to say I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Um, I'm, I, I will, I'm sure I'll experience it in good time. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, this sounds very good for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us today in the room is Andy Heaps. Would you like to introduce yourself? So hi, Lara. I'm uh, Andy Heaps. I'm a consultant obstetrician at North Middlesex Hospital, where I'm also the chief operating officer. So I'm responsible for all the clinical services uh, in the hospital. But my, my background interest is in quality and safety. Uh, and uh, how we can improve the services we're giving to, to, to patients as part of our day-to-day work. And so that part of your background is why you're here today, right? That's that's what perhaps makes you a little bit more interested in mistakes than other docs that we could have invited, have yep. invited on today. Yep, that and I've made plenty of my own, so plenty ooh, to talk about. Ooh, interesting. All right, so we're here to talk about making your first mistake. So it's something that is going to happen, something we read about in the media, it's something that we dread, speaking on behalf of med students, I think. And we learn the sort of buzzwords at med school, we learn about collective responsibility, we learn about duty of candour. So I guess what we're trying to address in this episode is how do we translate all that stuff we learn into practice? How do we cope with the crappy side of making a mistake? Um, And how do we sort of navigate the areas that might be a bit greyer? And how do we navigate blame culture sort of there's quite a lot to cover and it's quite a big topic but we're gonna just crash on right into it and do the best we can so you two are both doctors and you've probably made some mistakes along the way is that fair to say yeah 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 (laughs) so can you remember your first mistake I think mine was probably a a, a bit longer ago than yours (laughs) um yeah so um, my first mistake was in the first weekend uh, I was a a house officer I was the surgical house officer on call wait does that mean hang on just to be clear is that does that mean you were a foundation year one doctor equivalent the, the equivalent of yes yeah. so, so it was your first job out of med school yeah so uh, the, the wednesday was the first day in the job and i was on call the weekend of the saturday and the sunday ouch yeah so um the team i didn't really know um in a new place that i hadn't really worked in before uh, and a patient had been transferred up from ed to the ward for me to clark um that patient was quite sick uh, and um as part of the workup. Uh, uh, to find out what was going on with that patient I forgot to do an arterial blood gas Uh, sadly the patient um, didn't survive Um, and the investigation afterwards had shown that 
uh, she wasn't going to survive. But unfortunately, it did highlight that a blood gas hadn't been taken, which may have helped us get to a different diagnosis quicker. Uh, and that that at the time was felt to be something that I, I should have done. So, um, yeah, first weekend, you know, just got the stethoscope on for the first yeah. time. Uh, and you're going home on a Sunday night thinking, well, that's it. It's it's all over. I mean, I can see from your face whilst you're telling the story, it looks like this example, even though it's quite a long time ago now, that that still is quite powerful for you. Yeah. And, and you know, you sort of, you, you've got to remember, you, people who go to medical school are high achievers who don't like getting things wrong. So you've done absolutely everything you can to get into medical school. And then at medical school, you do everything as well as you can to get the dream job. <laughs> um, and actually, when you're suddenly in it and mistakes happen, it kind of goes against everything you've been gearing yourself up for. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big thing. Mm. How about you, Tatera? Do you remember your first mistake? Well, I was in a similar position to Andy in that I was a surgical F1. Um, and it was a very busy shift. There were lots of patients who were deteriorating and I was trying to get these jobs sorted in between. And there was one specific job you'd had two drains in um, and one had been removed and I had to look at an, an image to see if the other could be removed um, and what happens when x-rays are done is that you have the x-ray on a specific date but it may not be reported until another date so I looked at this x-ray f- trying to work out what was going on what was going on with the second drain not realizing that I was actually looking at an image that had been taken four days earlier but the report had been done today mm. um, and on the back of that picture said it's okay to take out the drain when in fact I had no imaging that let, let, let me know whether it was safe or not Um, and didn't actually realize until the next morning Um, and the registrar kind of told me oh why did you take out the drain the the x-ray wasn't done and I said well I I looked at it yesterday they said no that was the one from a few days ago it's just that the report was done yesterday that's why you thought it was a more recent image Um, and I I'll be honest I literally had to leave the ward round because I was like in tears I was just so shocked by the mistake that I had made because you know, if they then did the imaging and actually it wasn't safe, this is a drain that might have to be have to be put back in. Mm-hmm. I actually day text myself <laughs> because I was just so shocked and embarrassed. I apologised to the team. I went and spoke to the patient and the family afterwards. Thank, thank God, it was actually fine. And the imaging afterwards showed that the drain itself had done what it needed to do. But I was shaken for a good week afterwards, and I just felt, yeah, just not good. You mentioned the word. You said that you day text yourself. Yeah. So that's a word that I've. Not actually heard that much until I came on this podcast and started sort of getting into the nitty gritty details of what it's like to be a junior doctor and so on with you yeah. and other guests on the podcast. Um, and that's one of the sort of mystery words. I don't really know what it is and I never really come across it in medical school. So that's something that we'll come back to a little bit later and sort of delve into a bit of what a Datex is and what it mm. means. So see, some of the fear that I have around making mistakes when I become a doctor is partly because I don't know all the details like things about Datexing and so on. I don't really know... You know, there's a bit of uncertainty around what I actually have to do when I make a mistake. But then also, secondly, because you hear so much about doctors who've made mistakes in our media at the moment. So sort of high profile cases like David Selu and Hadiza Bawagaba. Have you heard of these stories? Yeah. I think a lot of people in the UK probably have. But if you haven't, I mean, what... How would you describe David Selu's case, for example? Yeah, so David Selu was a really experienced general surgeon. Um, and w- working in NHS and private practice in uh, in northwest London, uh, and uh, a patient had been admitted in a private hospital under an orthopaedic surgeon for a knee operation, uh, and whilst they were recovering from that operation, developed abdominal pain, and the orthopaedic surgeon asked David Sello to go and, and see the patient who 
uh, who did and uh, arranged some emergency um, imaging, uh, which was delayed in happening and so uh, perforated um, uh, colon was missed and that, and that patient went on and deteriorated and died. It was a case that sort of shocked medicine in the UK because that case was taken through to the law courts um, as, a, as a gross negligence manslaughter case. Uh, and David Sellu was found guilty of that and, um, uh, and went to prison for a mistake that in retrospect, and when people have looked at it, um, was multifactorial and, and, and contributed to by, by lots of different parts of the system. How would you describe Dr... Hadiza Bawagaba's case? Yeah, so Dr. Bawagaba um, uh, was a trainee paediatrician who uh, had come back from maternity leave, was, was newly back from a, a period of time off work and, and put straight into a busy on-call uh, in Leicester. So a busy department that was short-staffed, had, had rotor gaps, and she found herself looking after several sick kids that day, compounded by, I don't think she had access to the IT system for, for blood results, uh, I think there were some assumptions made about consultants checking cases when, when that hadn't happened. Uh, and there was confusion as to whether the child involved, Jack Adcock, um, had a do not attempt uh, resuscitation on his case. And so all of that came together and Jack sadly died from from overwhelming sepsis. Um, and when the, the investigation into that came through, it was felt by, by some people that that, that was uh, an unforgivable miss. And so she was... Uh, prosecuted under gross negligence manslaughter uh, and obviously her case went to to the GMC uh, as as would always happen after a criminal prosecution um since since that that case was reopened and uh, and actually she's she's returned to the medical register having been struck off uh, and is now able to start putting her clinical life uh, back together and just to be clear, both Dr Selu and Dr Bawagaba have been cleared and been declared fit to practice again, whether now or in the future. So, like, what 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 were you thinking, Andy, when you when you've read Bawagaba's story? Uh, the first thing to sort of reflect on, and you talking about, you know, not looking forward to, to making your first mistake, is to say that you will make it. It will come, um, and it doesn't have to be on the first weekend, but but it will happen. Yeah, you're um, right. And certainly, when I was a when I was a house officer and a junior doctor, the way we used to deal with this sort of thing is that you'd go down the pub. And people would talk about their mistakes. So, so when you'd say, "Oh, I've, I've made a terrible mistake today. Mm. I've taken a chest drain out and in, inappropriately," you'd usually get a much worse story from your registrar about <laughs> the time they've made a much worse mistake. Do you do yeah. that, Jadera? Um, go out for drinks, chat about mistakes. We we definitely. I sat down with the reg afterwards, and he was like, "I'm just going to give you a list of things that I've done." And uh, and actually, my dad does that to me a lot when I call him panicking about stuff. He's like, "Look, you do not know what I was like as a house officer." Um, yeah, there is that conversation. And I think that's why there was the massive outrage at, at Bower Garber was because a lot of people were thinking uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. So people couldn't understand uh, why that case had got to the point that it had. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, that the details behind that are, are incredibly complicated. But I think it was a bit of a gut punch to any doctor who's made a mistake. So any doctor um, that, that 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 had happened, because we talk about having this just culture. How about you? Because you were you were a, a sort of final year medical yeah, student around that time. So um, what, what were and you we thinking? had a lot of discussion about that actually, because when you look at the environment surrounding that, like what led to that mistake. It's so replicable in like almost every aspect of the NHS, like short staffed, 
missed your induction, don't know the hospital very well. I mean, even when I just think about locuming, I'm like, I could just turn up on a ward, not really know very much about the hospital or the system. Like, stuff like that. I think that's what touched me the most about the case is that, uh, like, human factors or, like, personal educational factors aside, like, often you're put in positions where it's, like, everything here is is almost channeling a mistake because we're short-staffed. I don't know the system, I don't know the hospital, I don't know where I'm going, blah, blah, blah these things can all contribute but also like it like at what point do people accept that there were there were these other environmental factors that could impact you other than maybe just something you've done personally and i think that's what i that scared me i guess the most about that situation was that i didn't feel like the environmental factors were taken into consideration but these environmental factors are so powerful mm. yeah i think one of the the worrying things about the Baragaba case was that they um, used her reflections yeah. uh, as part of that. So, so actually, I think a really important thing is that you're able to sit and look at what you've done and think exactly. about it and learn from it. Um, and 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 that should be a a safe uh, place for you for you to 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 do that either by yourself or or with people. Mm. Particularly because like reflections, like w- like with this situation and with probably any situation in which we are wrong i'd say most medics are actually very harsh on themselves and will turn around and say this entire situation is my fault um and that's part of reflection it's not maybe the most healthy way of dealing with it but that's not an uncommon thing to hear and it's probably not an uncommon thing for people to write in their reflections and it's kind of scary that that in itself is could then be used against you you just feel like maybe i can't actually put all of my feelings and all of my thoughts on the table Hmm. So I actually spoke to uh, someone called Jenny Vaughan, mm-hmm. um, a bit about mistakes, a bit about, you know, Bauer Garver's case. And she actually has some really nice things to say about reflections. So um, Jenny Vaughan, she's a neurologist um, and she's also worked very closely with Hadiza Bauer Garber and David Sello too, um, uh, campaigning for reforming the law mm-hmm. uh, on gross negligence manslaughter when applied to people working in healthcare. So she's very passionate about this area that we're speaking about today. So let's listen to her now. If it's something you've done and then we're talking about whether, you know, it then goes into your portfolio and it needs a more senior discussion, then what you should do is just make sure that you do that with someone you trust. Okay? Um, When you're discussing your own errors, you know, one of the... I'd like to give an example here that I'm sure many people are familiar with, that about what happened to Dr. Baragaba. I'm sure people know that she was um, convicted of gross negligence manslaughter and there was a lot of hoo-ha about whether her reflections were direct, directly used at trial or not. Um, her, her e-portfolio wasn't uh, used, but actually some of the feedback that the, the senior consultant did make its way indirectly into, into her trial, and it really wasn't helpful. So whenever you do reflections, make sure that you're doing it um, on a patient when, you, when you're including information that does not identify that patient. Because actually what you should be doing when you reflect on error is you should be actually reflecting on the error and how you deal with it not the actual individual case it's the learning points from what happened not i saw this particular patient with porphyria i missed the diagnosis for the following reasons Um, because you've got to remember that you know if there is a medico-legal complication and can i add that that would be extremely rare i I know there's been a lot of paranoia around obviously understandably about what happened with bauer but everybody understands that Everybody looked at what happened to her and said, that could be me, that could be me on any day. Um, Realistically, it's very unusual um, for that to happen. 
And I think now it's even less likely. However, people still have this feeling of fear. So just make sure that when you reflect on any of your errors and you learn from them and you're talking about this with a trusted senior colleague, that um, you're not including patient identifiable information and you focus on the principles of how you learn from that error rather than making doing a, an account, which means that people could then subsequently identify that patient because you know, courts can still get hold of reflections, although the GMC is saying it won't. Um, criminal courts can, okay? And, you know, focus on the learning. Realise that you're a human being. Realise that if you've made that error, it's extremely likely that somebody else has done the whole thing. If you haven't made an error in healthcare, then um, I don't think you've probably practised medicine, okay? Um, I mean, we can sit here until the cows come home if you really want to talk to me about the errors that I've made in my career. How do we carry on and pick ourselves up? Well, I think it's very difficult because uh, if you're a very sensitive person um, and takes these things to heart, and that is part of your personality, which I think a lot of doctors are like that, what I've always found when I've not quite got things right is if I talk it over with someone that I trust, invariably they will always say to me, goodness me, why are you getting upset about that? You know, that's a storm in a teacup. Um, you, you know, listen to what I did the other day, listen to what happened to me, um, you know, and it always helps you, talking it over always helps you put it into perspective. Because I can tell you now, as I look back on my career as a consultant and a junior doctor, the main places that I've learned is when I haven't quite got it right or I've missed things. So we're going to discuss a bit more about the culture around making mistakes, but that We'll be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. All right, back to the show. So I really appreciated hearing from Jenny Vaughan a bit of a clear piece of advice around how to adapt your reflective practice post Garber. Andy, do you think that the sort of current culture that we have allows this, permits this? I think it's really interesting because I think historically this was where doctors used to go and develop their dark senses of humour was actually by going and sharing these stories with each other uh, about mistakes that, that, that they'd made. Bringing on reflection uh, is, is a really interesting process in terms of medical education. What do you mean bringing it on? So when I was a, a, an SHO reflection and portfolios weren't weren't really a thing which you know looking back now seems uh, almost unbelievable 
but reflection started to be brought in with with training portfolios and that was to encourage doctors to get into this practice of being reflective practitioners and and to um, to to do what Jenny said and really learn from errors but I think a, an unintended consequence of that was it became another assessment tick box yeah. which is how it became something that people felt they had to do because suddenly you had to do eight a year mm. uh, to progress to, to, to the next stage which completely flies in the face of what it's trying to do yeah. which is deep personal reflection on how something made you feel and what you can do next time to move on from that but she's absolutely right that the, the key part of reflection is doing it with 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 a, an honest friend who can actually talk you through the way you're feeling and actually bring a bit of perspective because you, you won't ever be looking at it rationally particularly in the heat of the in the moment or, or close up to the mistake i think a big thing with the online reflections is that there's no response unless your supervisor picks mm. up on it and brings it up at your next meeting you just write down kind of word format how you feel into the void and exactly whereas I, I think the sort of old school way of dealing it with it which is actually to go and sit and talk with someone it's actually probably far more healthy because there's someone who's actually going to respond and hopefully rationalize how you're feeling this way you just write it down and then you're supposed to I guess forget about it when I was a labor ward lead so labor wards are places where mistakes happen and, and can be quite catastrophic yeah. when they do so we really encourage people to to talk about when mistakes happen even the tiniest mistakes because they could be the ones that start to show that uh, that, that other things could happen my team always knew that if they'd made a mistake the best thing to do would for, be for me to find out from them coming and talking to me about it not finding out three or four days later through a, a datex or an incident form because actually I really wanted them not not to come and explain it away but to feel that they could come and talk to me about it so that we could have a, a really rational conversation and discover what really went on for them. How did you do that? How did you create that environment where people knew that they could? They, it was far better to talk about small mistakes as well as big mistakes and so on? So I think the duty of an educational supervisor is is more than just signing the form at, yeah. the, at the end of the year. You actually have to invest back into it and spend time with the people that you're training um, and, and set your expectations out. So you do that in sort of like conversation level, like yeah. one-to-ones or like induction style, like where you've got like a little group? How- so it's in one-to-ones, so at, at the initial trainees meeting, I sort of lay those expectations down in, in terms of part of the contracting between the supervisor and the trainee. I don't sure, think that's so, so when I So if, if I, you know, in two years' time when I graduate, if I came and I worked uh, my first rotation in your ward, whatever, then I would then I would know that, that you were a safe person to talk to, for example. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that I could talk to you. So if I came to you with a mistake, would I, need I be afraid of being blamed or of having you know and impacting my career which is something that i think is fair to say that i might be worried about so uh, no is the is the immediate answer i mean i don't think we can talk away every consequence of every every mistake we make uh, but i think what what it is important for senior doctors to do is provide a place where people can talk about it objectively um, and actually start to get an understanding of, of what went on in in a in a really supportive way mm. uh, and, I, and i think that's and it's not just junior docs that need that. As a, as a new consultant, it was really important for me uh, to have someone I could speak to about when things weren't going well. Mm. Uh, so that because you don't actually have that pastoral educational supervisor uh, relationship and you suddenly realise you've got 30 years as a consultant ahead of you and actually you need to start to build that network of friends yeah. and colleagues who can support you. Yeah, and it's not just doctors. There's also other healthcare professionals like from your story from episode five and Arsehole Doctors where you talked about 
a nurse who'd made a mistake and and how you responded to that mm. right I think it'd be great to have you as my educational supervisor or whatever that sounds like a good environment in which to make a mistake if any but the reality is is that I might go into my first job and I might not have that clear communication from whoever's supervising me in my first rotation like is that something you felt like was talked about when you were in, inducted so I didn't we didn't speak about mistakes um specifically but I think I'm someone who's very lucky that I have a really really good educational well, supervisor that's really good. who I got on with really really well mm. and feel like I can probably talk to about anything mm. so what if what if I go to my first job and mm. it's not been explicitly raised and I'm afraid that if I go to my supervisor I'll be blamed and struck off and you know okay I I know that that's quite a rare occurrence mm-hmm. but if I'm afraid of all those things do I go to a supervisor who I don't really know is it safe what do you think I think as adults and professionals um we, we've got a duty to make sure that that we understand the things that are available to us and to speak up when we're not happy uh, I think Janera's point about you know registrars and and um uh, other senior members of the team as well I don't think people to reflect with has to be uh, consultants and educational supervisors I think I think they're a good backstop but actually there'll be lots of uh, members of the team I reflect quite a lot with with someone I used to be an SHO a senior house officer with m- many years ago and we'll sit and talk things through just because I know it's a really safe place to have that have that conversation so let's make it super explicit you're saying that I must not keep it to myself I'm absolutely saying that yeah great that's really good to have definitely clear. <laughs> so I've, I've seen words in news articles about just culture and blame culture. Those are things that Jenny Vaughan, for example, talks quite a lot about. What do those actually mean for me about to become a junior doctor? Uh, just culture was developed by uh, a guy called Sidney Decker, who uh, works in human factors in Australia. Um, and w- when incidents and mistakes happen, uh, he's interested in framing the question to say, why was the system geared up in such a way that on that day that mistake could be made? And so if you think about all the mistakes we've talked about so far this afternoon, you know, there's any number of reasons behind all of that as to why that could have happened and, and could have happened to anyone. Uh, so a just culture is sometimes called a, a fair blame culture. So I think we have to accept that you know, if you forget to do something and actually you just forgot to do something and you were being a bit slapdash, then there's some accountability there. But the just culture is trying to look at the whole picture uh, and to say this wasn't just that Andy Heaps was being useless on that day. It was there were three doctors off, um, eight wards were calling instead of four. Um, the IT system was down and we're relying on someone reading results out over a telephone uh, and, and all those other things. So that would take that whole picture in. And actually, when you look at things from the point of view of a just culture, you rarely you rarely find an individual person that's to blame. It's the Swiss cheese and the holes all lining up. Mm. You know, in the sort of spectrum of just culture to blame culture, where do you think we are at the moment? Well, we're humans, aren't we? So actually, the easiest thing to do is to go back to the blame culture. And actually, it's just the, you know, it, I think it's a bit of human instinct. As do you hear about a mistake and you think, well, who's, whose fault was that? Uh, so, so the important thing is to have people who are leading on these investigations and looking at these environments who are able to, to actually raise that question of, look, actually, what, what was the wider thing going on here? It completely reframes that conversation. Uh, and, and actually what most people want to know when they're coming after a mistake is this won't happen to someone else, will it? And when you can talk about the fact that the culture and the, uh, the, the setup around the mistake is changing, that can be really reassuring for patients, I think. So we've been flying all these words around, you know, duty of candour, 
just culture, blame culture, data text forms, incident forms, and all these things, right? So, as I said earlier, part of my fear around making mistakes is that I don't really have a very clear idea of what I actually have to do uh, when I make my first mistake. So, I talked to Rob at Medical Protection, which is one of the defense organi- uh, medical defense organizations in the UK. Uh, but before we go into detail of the what's and how's around mistakes, let me just really quickly tell you guys how much we appreciate listening to the podcast. We appreciate you so, so, so much, and I really want you to know that. So we've teamed up with On Examination to give you a discount on all their exam question banks. If you've not heard of it, On Examination is a question bank for medical exams. And I know that for me, practice questions just give me so much more gains than staring at a textbook. And personally, I both love and hate it that it reminds me every morning to do at least one personalised exam question. And now on examination are giving all of us a special sharp scratch discount of 15%. So if you're going for, say, the prescribing safety test, then you'll pay 850 instead of 10 quid for a six-month subscription. And the discounts are across all student exams and for those new docs listening, the MRCP part one as well. So head to the student section of onexamination.com, select your exam and enter sharp scratch, all caps, no spaces, at the checkout for a 15% discount. So that's 15% off on examination with a promo code of sharp scratch, all caps, no spaces. So back to mistakes. What even is the definition of a mistake? Um, What am I supposed to do when I make my first mistake? Um, So I really wanted clear answers for these questions. So I went and spoke to Rob at Medical Protection. So let's hear from him now. My name's uh, Dr. Rob Hendry. I'm the Medical Director at Medical Protection. I've got a background in clinical practice, uh, but I've been working in medical law for the last 20 years or so. The question of what's a mistake or perhaps a medical error is an interesting one because I think as doctors, particularly doctors in training, we're conscious that when we're undertaking uh, procedures and so forth, we may not be as experienced as others, and there will be times where things don't go as well as they might, but the fine margin between what might be thought of as something that could have gone better and something that's actually a mistake or an error is sometimes difficult uh, to to think about. I suppose an easy way to define it might be to think of something that, with hindsight, you would not do again and that has had some effect on uh, the patient uh, that may be fairly transient or may have a more longer lasting effect. We have as doctors uh, both a legal duty but I think more broadly a professional duty that where uh, one feels one's made a mistake uh, one ought to be open and honest with the patient. And if even with a fairly minimal perhaps mistake and one could think here of for example, doing venesection or some other minor uh, invasive procedures, if one causes more bruising or perhaps a little bit inexpert in the way it's done, I think it's entirely reasonable to explain to the patient uh, about that. Where I think difficulties can arise is if a patient believes there's been a mistake made and the doctor either hasn't owned up to it or has tried to deny it. So whilst the legislation would recognise that there has to be a sort of de minimis level of error that kicks in the statutory duty of candour. I think as a healthy approach to practice, being open and honest with patients bears dividend 
when something has gone wrong, and I think what I needs to think about, and it's very helpful, I think, to think through these steps in advance, because inevitably every doctor in practice will find themselves in a position where something has gone wrong. Now, clearly the starting point depends on the, the error or the mistake. First thing first, of course, is that if you discover something has happened, you must make sure the patient's safe. So if, for example, one had felt one had administered the, the wrong drug or whatever, uh, one would take immediate steps to ensure the patient's safety is the first thing. Uh, I think it's important, particularly for doctors in training, that they have a supportive network around them so that where something's happened and you may not be certain what to do next, I think one ought to be considering speaking to either your supervisor or somebody more senior in the immediate ward environment, whether that's one of the uh, registrars or whatever, or indeed a consultant, uh, just to make sure that the immediate steps are taken, that the patient's safe. Thereafter, I think a number of steps should be taken, if particularly in a more serious situation. I'm thinking here beyond just simply perhaps causing a bit of extra bruising, putting up a venflon or whatever. But if something has happened, the patient would be entitled to a proper explanation and an apology. I think before doing so, it is worthwhile speaking to a more senior colleague who understands the position just to clarify what has happened. Having an early apology to the patient and discussion with them where appropriate is, is important and perhaps it would be useful to have a more senior colleague present for that. It's also worthwhile uh, where something like this has happened that a factual note is made of what happened and why because as time goes on one's memory can become clouded uh, or a, a little confused. I think the important thing also though is to reflect and learn from the episode However, depending on the gravity of the error, that should probably be done separately. And again, when a bit of time has gone past and in a supportive environment with a supervisor. So what are we saying? I think, firstly, check your patient safe. Secondly, where appropriate, apologize to the patient. Seek uh, advice and support from a senior and make a factual account of what happened. And I think if one's in any doubt about what to do next, I would be thinking about speaking to one's defence organisation to get professional advice and support. Andy, what do you think about Rob's definition of a mistake? I liked his description, but I think the problem with it came came in the description, with which was, in hindsight, it was something you wouldn't do again. Um, and, and hindsight's a wonderful thing in his 2020 vision. I, I think I agree with him that there's a spectrum about things that range from could have gone better to, to being an actual mistake. And, and I think the advice he gave was great. I think the key bit that, that Rob talks about there, though, is the importance of saying sorry to the patient straight away. Mm. Um, and I think it's important to remember that just saying sorry doesn't imply that you're guilty of some kind of grand mistake. I think the worst thing you can do is not apologise when, when you identified it's it's happened. It's a proper human response to want to say sorry when, when something's happened uh, and, and I think people who say to, to hold off and stay cold and stay away mm. uh, are completely wrong and that, that's why 
I think in Jadera's case, earlier on, on the x-ray, she went up to the patient and explained what had happened. I think that's really important as a first so, step. So it's not just important, it's, it's a duty, right? That's yeah. what we call duty of candour. Yeah. So can you just briefly define duty of candour? Duty of candour is now a, 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 an obligation on, on healthcare staff to tell patients when a mistake has been made. Now, you can get into the fine detail of what that definition looks like with, with incidents, but by and large, it's when harm has come to the patient. Mm. So something needs to be done to, to sort of make something better. So yeah. you wouldn't, by the definition, have to apply duty of candour if you sent the wrong urine specimen and needed a second bottle to go uh, but if you prescribed a drug that may have caused harm then yes you that that, that would require um, duty of candle to be applied and what's been your experience of saying sorry to patients Jadera? I think I'm probably lucky in that nothing I've done has had any like has caused harm or had any poor effects but I think patients are actually quite nice I think for the most part they do realize that you are a human being Obviously, I'm saying this in a situation where I've, you know, no one's been explicitly angry or upset with me. But patients normally understand that mistakes happen and that it's normally not, you know, nothing you're doing is out of malice. You know, if you've made a mistake, it's a genuine accident. It's something that you probably feel very bad for. And it's a human error or an environmental error. It's not something that you've done on purpose to make things harder for them. And I think most patients are aware of that. So I think when it comes to having duty of candor conversations, like actually having that in the back of your mind can make them a lot less scary because neither of you are approaching this from a point of view thinking that the other person is the enemy. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, Andy, in your work sort of in quality and safety, did you speak to patients about they want what they wanted at any point out of an apology or after a mistake? Yeah, so when you do investigations into, into errors and, and mistakes and things we call serious incidents, which is where harm comes to a that's patient. That's another type of mistake. That's, right? that, that's, yeah. that's yeah. another type of mistake. Then I would always offer to meet with the, the, the patient and, and their family after to explain the findings. Uh, and by and large, um, patients are not punitive, but they do want to know that other people won't go through mm -hmm. uh, what they went through. And it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I, I'm amazed that every time I met patients in that mm. capacity, they were saying, we just want to make sure the mistake won't happen again. Um, and and it's interesting when listening to, to Rob talking about what to do. So, yeah, make sure the patient's safe. Go and talk to someone and uh, sort of take a factual note. But nothing there about getting that information back into your learning organisation so that it can learn how to reduce that, that sort of incident happening in, in the future. And I think that is so important. Okay, um, yeah, let's talk a bit about that. So is that what a Datex form is for? Yeah. What, so what is a Datex form? Jadera, do you want to talk from what you what did you encounter when you first became a junior doctor? So the explanation of Datex is to me, which is why I find them so important, is that they essentially, be, they are anonymised, but they are, it's almost like an audit type uh, thing. So they go to people who will look at them and, and look at situations around the incident and reflect upon what it is that might systemically need to be changed and the great thing about it is that the person who receives the data access may receive a whole host of things you're not realizing that maybe this mistake has happened repeatedly across the ward or the hospital and from that from their point of view be able to say actually i can identify a common denominator in all of these situations so we're going to change that and actually really good things can come from data access that's really cool so when you first when you first made your mistake, it was on your second job as a doctor, you said, mm. 
And by that point, did you know what a Datex was? Um, so actually, at induction, they, they were discussed with us. So Great. by that point, I knew where they were and to find them on the internet. <laughs> oh, so it's like a computery thing. Yeah, you click a link. <laughs> and it's called Datex across all the hospitals in the UK, right? No, so Datex is is, is like the word Hoover. It's a oh, brand really? name. So Datex oh, sure. is a system. So it's an instant reporting system. So right. you, should, you should probably say that, you know, other instant reporting systems are available. <laughs> um, but, but Datex is the one that most organisations use. Mm. So people... Um, people people call it Datex. And, and then people in other countries might also have a similar system in their own countries and hospitals, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the UK is actually a little bit further down the line than most about having sort of centralised uh, learning systems. And the great thing about systems like Datex is that when you're at a more administrative level in a hospital like I am now, you can pull out themes and yeah. see patterns happening that, that you might not see up close and you can start to think about what systems do you, do you put in place. I think when I uh, when I was junior, instant forms used to be physical forms that you'd stick under the ward manager's door. And actually, one of the risks with with Datex and and something that a lot of people might hear is people use it as a bit of a threat. So if you don't come and see this patient, I'll put in a Datex about you. And to me, when I hear that sort of thing in an organisation, that's suggesting that it's not a real learning culture going on there. So Mm. my biggest bit of advice about that would be to say, please do, because actually (laughs) that will start again to highlight to people if someone can't come to, to see someone, it's never because they're... Uh, they can't be bothered. It's usually because there, there's so much going on. So all these little bits of information within the system start to build up a picture of how you can make a hospital safer. I do think, though, like having done the form now, I feel differently. But when I was like, I have to date this, it was a, it was almost like a self-flagellation thing. And I think it's kind of interesting that a lot of the time, particularly if you haven't done one before, if you haven't made a mistake before, do, people do hear the word date and think punishment. I mean, can it be punishment in in somewhere where the culture is not maybe so great? Can Datex be a bit punitive? It's the response to the Datex that that would be punitive. So it's if people are reading it and then coming down hard on on the person that that's spoken about, mm. then yes. But um, again, I think that would be something I'd be sort of saying to people: go talk to your supervisor, someone you trust about it, because it absolutely, certainly where I work at the moment is not a. Uh, an expectation of people responding to to Datexes. In fact, it's always to thank people for for filling the form in Mm. and then to start understanding why that that situation happened. So we've mentioned a few different types of mistakes on the way. We've mentioned little bungles that are worth mentioning, but... You know, if they don't cause harm, you're not obligated to apologise by duty of candour, but it might be nice to apologise anyway. There's another phrase I've heard, which is a never event. What Mm -hmm. kind of what kind of mistake is that? So there's a series of about eight to ten things that NHS England say should never happen. Um, and with with appropriate safety systems in place, they should never happen. So a retained foreign object after surgery, so leaving a swab inside someone after you've operated, or um, a wrong site surgery. Um, a lot of them are to do with nasogastric surgery. tube in the wrong <laughs> nasogastric tube in the wrong place um, uh, after it's been inserted. And these are all things where we we pretty much know that if you put decent safety systems in place. Uh, they will very rarely happen. Now, some people, myself included, think the word never is inviting trouble because nothing nothing never happens. But actually the question uh, is that they should be so rare and when they do happen, you should be able to see that everything that should have been done uh, had been done. And the interesting thing about that is that's use of who timeouts and checklists uh, and things again that that people who embrace them will be in a culture that promotes safety 
And if you're in a place where people go, I don't need these checklists, I've been doing this operation for years, might just raise a question as to whether the safety culture is there. Okay, so just I'm not sure this is is true across the board, but at least in my trust, if another event happens in the trust, regardless of which hospital within the trust it happens, we all receive an email saying, you know, this is our sixth never event of 2019. It was a retained swab this is what we've learned and this is what we're doing so it's they're, they're taken very seriously and there's a mm. lot of reflection that word again um with regard to them sort of trust-wide it's and it's a very you can see it's a clearly an attempt to be very honest about it with everybody who's involved so i hope this will never happen but if i were to be involved with another event is there any kind of process you know in, in terms of the stuff that rob laid out those those steps is there any or Daytex form. Is there anything about that that is different for a never event compared to other mistakes? No, no. Same, same, same principle. Same, same principle. Pr- okay, that's good to know. And another thing that puzzled me in, in, in Rob's list of things is that one of his steps was to make a factual note of what happened and why it happened somewhere I've and to keep that told. separate from your reflection, which I think was a pretty good... I've been told to do that. So... Yeah, so that's I think that's a pretty good tip to mm-hmm. keep it from, separate from your reflection as well. It's quite useful. Where am I supposed to write what happened and why where is that do i only write it in the daytex do i put it some where does it where does it go well so you'll, you'll write details in the daytex you should also write details into the patient's notes because uh, that should be the contemporaneous record but i think rob's point about keeping a sort of secure place for your um your, your own notes that you perhaps don't feel are quite necessary for the patient's notes and that haven't gone into the daytex um, I, I think keeping a contemporaneous record like that's really important. These things, if they turn into cases that um, medical protection get involved with, tend to take a few years to sort of come to fruition. So mm. actually, you'll not remember what you were doing on the day. Mm. Uh, and if it was a, a terrible day and you'd had a three-hour journey into work and five people hadn't turned up, you might not have put that in the patient's notes or the day ticks, but it's important that, that you've got that context in your own notes. Um, so that's really useful. So I've got a bit of a clearer idea now of what I need to do after a mistake. So just I'm just going to run this back by you guys and you can tell me if I'm slipping off on the wrong way anywhere. So first thing I need to do, if I make a mistake, large or small, is that I need to make sure the patient is safe as a priority. I need to seek support. I can talk to anyone senior who I trust as part of that, whether that's simply to flag up that mistakes happened or whether that's also part of my reflective practice after the mistake. I need to go and say sorry if necessary um, and explain to the patient clearly what's happened and why. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure the paperwork's done and that'll involve writing in the patient's note what has happened and why in a sort of factual way, writing on a Daytex form that a mistake has happened and, and what factors I think were relevant that might help the whole system at large if this thing is a common thing to happen. And I need to write or verbally or internally do some kind of reflecting on my own practice and what I might do differently next time. Does that sound like what the full set of things? Is there anything important that I've missed? Yeah, and I think you just need to remember that you're human and you'll go through <laughs> an emotional roller coaster about it. I mean, let's talk about that a bit more. You know, I'm I'm also curious as how to pick yourself up after a mistake. So you mentioned to Dara that after you'd made your mistake, you left the ward around, you had a cry, you yeah. spoke to a registrar. Is that are those the main way that you cope? Have you got any other sort of ways Um, that you've dealt with mistakes I mean I think for me it was kind of a time thing because I think I was just a bit shocked it was my first mistake and it was it was something that could have potentially had quite serious consequences and my my confidence was quite it was just knocked Mm. um and I did struggle for a few days afterwards where I kind of was 
filled with a fair bit of self-doubt and was double, triple, quadruple checking everything and just felt on edge and felt embarrassed. I think, again, like you said, like one of the things that helped the most was talking to other people and particularly talking to my seniors who... Some of whom literally laughed and were saying, I don't think you understand the extent of some of the mistakes La- I've laughed had. Laughed in a nice way or laughed in, in a way like a, like a... Like a, oh, honey. Like, yeah, like yeah. a, oh, honey, you don't know what's coming. How does that coming. make you feel? <laughs> so it, it did help because I think it's easy to think I am the worst doctor here. And especially as an F1 where you're, you're already well aware that you're the most junior person on your team. It's, off, it's very easy for your confidence to be knocked and to feel like I'm the one sort of pulling the side down. So having people say, that, you know, look, here are these mistakes i've made one in itself helped but also i think gives you hope because it's kind of that feeling of well, well this person was doing similar mistakes t- to me at my stage and now there's someone that i have you know huge amounts of respect for and is an incredible doctor so because i think maybe the biggest thing that hurt after it happening was that feeling of oh maybe i shouldn't be here maybe i'm not a good doctor and actually realizing that being mistakes is part of that journey to becoming a good clinician was quite important for me and I think this is why those cases we talked about earlier on were so damaging in, in terms of the profession. I think senior members of the profession have got a duty to talk about the mistakes that they've made and, and to actually talk about what it's like to be a human in medicine mm. and the sort of the stickiness and the messiness of it all mm. because otherwise you'll have people who who struggle with their, their first mistakes. And, you know, like we said before, these are high-achieving people who don't like making mistakes. We do not like being wrong. And, and, when, <laughs> and, when, and when you roll that in with, with an effect on another human being, it can be really, really sort of tricky to, to work through. I mean, that's what we're doing right now, aren't we? We're talking about it, getting out into a bit more of the open with the three of us here in the studio today. Um, so, that, so how do you pick yourself up from mistakes? So, so I... I quite happily talk about them now and I, I think you get yourself to the point. Do you point. get sad still if you make a mistake? Do you get knocked to your confidence? Yeah, of course you do. And and I mean, I th- if I think about a mistake I made, um, which uh, I think on um, uh, on Rob's description was probably a could have gone better, but during some surgery I, w- I was doing a couple of years ago, uh, when I did that operation again the next time, I was a bit apprehensive and I asked for a colleague to be in with me just to sort of uh, see what was going on everything went fine that time but mm. yeah you do it's it's like if you have an accident in a car you're a bit nervous aren't you when you get back in the car and yeah, drive yeah. again it's 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 just that human reaction and I think it's our duty just to recognize it and and to think about well actually I need to do something about this I, I need to to work through this in a way that gets me you know because you're far more used to your patients back on your feet and and doing what you've trained to do than, than not coping with this at home, sort of panicking about uh, something that, that may have happened to someone else if they'd have been in that place that day and you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. Yeah, see, so this is something that actually I wondered a lot about when it came to the case of Bauer Garber, actually, because I wondered, you know, after all that she's been through, you know, it's been eight years since the tragic death of Jack Adcock and, you know, she's looking to come back to clinical practice next year and I, you know, I'm... I wonder how on earth can she pick herself up after all that she's been through and be so determined to continue doing clinical practice? It just amazed me. And actually, I was lucky uh, lucky enough, like about a month ago or so, to actually hear Dr. Bawagaba speak in person at the Risky Business Conference, um, and I was just amazed, like, to be able to see the live, moving, talking face of someone who I've read so much about in the media, you know, in real life, and. And she was actually asked that question. It was sort of an interview format. And, and 
the interviewer asked her, you know, what what is it that drives you? What may, what is it that sort of brought you through that that tough time when you were in a prison cell? When you, you know, when there was so much when you were seeing your face on the newspapers when you went out and so on when you were being recognised. So there's actually a BMJ article written about this, and and I'll just read from it now. So when Baba Garba was held in a cell after being found guilty of gross negligence manslaughter, she said that she hit rock bottom, and in that moment she asked herself the same question that she'd answered at age 13: Why do I want to do medicine? And the reason now is the same reason I had then. The purpose of my life is service to humanity. And if I can serve and have the tools to do that, then I should keep doing it. It's almost a privilege to practice medicine. I will keep going. And in that moment, I knew there would be light at the end of the tunnel. I just found that incredible to hear that that's mm. what sort of carried her through. Is that Does that resonate with you guys? Yeah, and, and you, you've got to think about all, all these people and and this this sort of moment where a mistake happens placed against their years of experience and and the countless lives that they've improved and helped uh, and it's not a simple game of maths of saying that outweighs that but actually uh, doctors are a hugely precious reserve and and for for the vast majority of us it's a vocation it's not just a job uh, and and i think that that getting back to that core is is the is the key i i, I had a uh, a good colleague who, who in darker moments would always say, dig out your UCAS form and read your personal <laughs> statement and just remind yourself why you started off down this journey. And, and, and if you've still got it tucked away somewhere, it's very healthy just to dig it out every so often and remind yourself why, you, why you're doing this. I mean, that's a very sincere tip, but I think I'd die of embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. So today's episode is just the beginning of a conversation. So for all doctors who are listening, if you've made a mistake before that you think you would be able to share with us and with other doctors in a new series of articles for BMJ Opinion about the mistakes that we make, then do get in touch. Uh, you can send an outline of your story to the opinions editor, Juliet at jdobson at bmj.com. And then maybe we'll be able to publish your story as part of this new series. If you'd like to hear more from us, then subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. Shout out to the 500-ish people who've subscribed since our first episode. You are legends and you make all our Sharp Scratch efforts worthwhile. And while you wait for the next episode, check us out on social media. We're Student BMJ on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. And it's also super helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other med students find the show. And we'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later on in the season. Next time, we're going to be talking about your first day as a doctor, and we're going to have all the tips for new docs that we can cram in. Until then, goodbye from me.